tradition, the Bible says, of the elders. And then in verse 20, uh, Jesus is saying, he said, uh, and he said, which cometh out of the man, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blaspheming, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the man. So in response to their uh, in response to the Pharisees' criticism of the disciples, Jesus says it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. If you eat a hamburger and you didn't wash your hands, that's not what makes you unclean or uh, unholy or unrighteous. It is what comes out of you that defiles the man. In Matthew 5 and 8, again, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The Bible, in the Bible and throughout the Bible, the heart is referred to or considered that part of us. It is that part of us that, that out of it comes our will, it comes our desires, it comes our intellect, the emotions. Uh, the Bible calls it the heart. It is what makes you, you. Some people are considered kind-hearted people. They have a nature about them that, are, that is kind. Other people we consider to be uh, sweet or tender-hearted people or, or hard-hearted people. We all know people that can fit in these categories. Uh, somebody told me that your wife must be a very kind-hearted woman to put up with you. And a little bit that's true. She just don't realize how blessed she is. Jesus is saying that out of this part of us, this, this part of us comes fear, but also comes courage, comes love and joy and jealousy and hatred and happiness. They All of these things make their home or their habitation in our heart. The heart is an incubator. It incubates deception. Jesus gives a, a list, a, a litany of things that reside in the heart in, Ma in the, the scripture reading we had in Mark. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It all resides in the heart. So if we're to be happy, if we're to be blessed in a, in a very unhappy world, if we're going to have this joy, if we're going to have this peace that Jesus is talking about, we must have a pure heart. We must have a pure heart. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus teaches the concept of a pure heart. The Bible, throughout the entire Bible, teaches the concept of a pure heart. And the Bible says that a pure heart comes from God. Ezekiel 36 and 26, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. 
God's saying and telling us that the heart that we're born with, the, the us that we're born with, the, the, the mindset and the, the, what makes us us that we're born with, that, that part of us that goes through life that gets hard and, and gets cruel and gets, uh, it gets to the point where uh, the way we live and the way we act and the things we think and the way we present ourselves and our, our feelings towards others and our feelings towards God that, that get calloused and hard sometimes through a life that is, that is lived uh, in society, that's lived through the, the medium or through the conduit of what is socially acceptable. God can remove that. And he will give us a heart of flesh, one that is moldable, one that is, is usable by God. And, and Ezekiel 36, 26 points that out. You cannot. I found this striking when I read this. Again, this is not my material, but I found this striking, striking that, that we cannot gain a pure heart by our own efforts. Society is teaching and has told people to think positively. And there's, there's a lot of value in that. Look, you should have a positive mindset. You should have a positive outlook on life. Having a positive mental attitude is a great benefit. But positive thinking does not mean you have a pure heart. Positive thinking doesn't bring joy. Positive thinking does not bring peace to your life. Being positive, uh, there's, there's a lot of guys, and we talk about people like Zig Ziglar and, and, and uh, John Maxwell and all these guys, and, and, and I've had sales managers over the years that I've dealt with that were, were Mr. Personality. They were Mr. Charisma. Man, every time they talked to you, it was like this, and their arms are moving, and they're intense, and, and they're just and they're never stopping. Man, words just flow, and, and they have a command of the English language, and they're just rolling it out. And, man, they're using words this long, and you have to have a, a dictionary and a source to, to even understand what they're trying to say, and they just talk fast, 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 bump, 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 bump. And they're, they're positive people. Man, they see a storm cloud coming. They don't say, well, it's fixing the storm. Here comes the rain. Oh, wow, look, man, the flowers are fixing to get watered. Isn't this awesome? Tomorrow's going to be beautiful. All they see is the silver lining. And I've had deep conversations with these guys. I've talked to these guys, and, and there's nothing wrong with the positive mental attitude. But, but when you dig down into their life, they're looking for joy. They're looking for peace. I've, I've watched as these guys struggled in their marriage. And you look at them, and they make good money, and they're doing real good, and you think everything is okay. Because you ask them, one guy in particular, I remember his name was Steve, and I would say, Steve, how's things today? Man, everything is wonderful. Everything is perfect. Them arms are moving. He's excited, and he's happy. But then, driving down the road one day, going to meet a customer, talking to Steve, him and his wife were at the verge of divorce, and, and Steve is saying that things weren't so good in his house, and his kids were, were really starting to get in trouble, and he didn't know how to handle it. And he said, I just wish, I just wish that there was some t way that, that I could have in my, in my marriage, in my home, 
just peace, just, just for it to be peaceful. So positive mental attitude, although it's valuable, does not bring a pure heart. It does not bring the peace and the joy that we are looking for. Our hearts cannot be made right with God through any mental process. A pure heart is a result of a miracle made possible because Jesus died on the cross. That's what it's made possible through. And when we are born again, and we receive the Holy Ghost, we're washed in baptism, that's where we can begin to receive a pure heart. That's where this process starts. The world, and I, and I hate to even use that term almost anymore, but society, people are looking for this experience. They're looking for a clear conscience. They're looking for joy, and they're looking for peace, and, and they're looking for happiness, and, and they're looking for contentment. And they're looking for it in their homes. They're looking for it in their marriages. And they're looking for it in pill bottles. And, and they're looking for it in, in all sorts of things. And they go to counselors. And, and, and all of those things maybe have their place. But, but there's only one source. There's one source of the kind of joy that people are spending billions of dollars a year looking for. And that is through God himself. We all want, we all want the result of a pure heart. We all want that. I remember this past year at camp meeting, we, Christy and I got to go for two nights or, or so and, and had a great time. And we were listening to Brother Anthony Mangus, who just preached an incredible family night service. Of course, he does an incredible job every year at that. And, uh, but he, he was preaching this incredible, incredible family night service. And uh, after church, we met up with some people and we were talking to them. And, and the guy says, man, I just wish that I could be a preacher like Brother Anthony Mangus. Man, I just wish I had that kind of ministry. And, of course, our conversation turned to that and we started talking about our preacher heroes. I like Wayne Huntley. And I like Brother Tenney. I think Brother Tenney is is a great man, and, and we were going down the list, and, and all of these guys came up. I said, you know, there's a problem with that. We all want to be like them when it comes time to lay hands on somebody and then be healed. Anybody want to do that? Who would like to lay hands on somebody and see them healed instantly? We all want to be Brother T.W. Barnes. But talk to these guys about the process and the price tag attached to that kind of ministry. It hasn't been easy on these guys. I remember Wayne Huntley telling a story one time, I think it was about his nephew that was dying and, and, and all of the, uh, the sickness that was in this young man's body and he was praying and weeping and, and sobbing on behalf of his nephew one day and he said, God... Let me change places with him. Let me die. Whatever the price is, I'll pay it. And, and said that God spoke to him and said, what, Calvary wasn't enough? Can you top that? Price tag attached to these type of ministries. And we all want the, the result of having a pure heart. 
We all want the joy. And I hear it all the time. Brother Merrill, pray for me and my circumstance, and we do that. And But we need happiness, and we need peace in our home. And, and if you can have that, everybody can have that. It's possible. It's obtainable by everybody. Jesus gives you the steps. Jesus says if you'll do these things, the end result is going to be peace and joy in your, in your life. You'll have peace of mind. You'll, you'll have all of these things that you desire. He gives us the steps on it. And we all want that. But there is a process. We have to go through the process. We have taught, we've preached, we've uh, tried to explain that there's always a process that we need to go through. So we have to look at, at God's plans here. We have to look at his principles here. We have to stand kind of awed and, and amazed and marvel at what God has come up with and, and his, his, uh, his pathway to this place that we want to get there. He gives us precise steps with very predictable results. that will produce a very genuine and a very long-lasting peace and joy. It's like a manual. Do you want to get a road map? Do you want to get from here to Niagara Falls? Yes. Most of you, if you want to go Niagara Falls, you'd have to get in your car and drive, correct? You would have to get in your car and go to Niagara Falls. There's a process to get there, and it's going to cost you some money. I doubt any of us drive a vehicle here this morning that can get from here to Niagara Falls on one tank of gas. It's going to cost you something to get there to see the beauty of those falls. And if you want to go there bad enough, you'll save up your money, you'll pay the price, correct? It's the same thing. The same principle here, it's going to take you a little bit of effort and you're going to have to pay a little bit of a price, but once you get there, the effort and the price are well worth the reward. The same thing is true in this concept that Jesus is teaching. If you want long-lasting joy, if you want happiness, if you want peace, there's a price to pay, there's some steps to go, you have to get on the journey, you have to drive, you have to move, you can't stay where you're at. And so he says, if you'll do these things, then you're going to have this peace, this joy, and this happiness. And he gives us the way, he gives us the map. Here, you want it, here's how you do it. I read a bumper sticker several months ago that said, insanity. That the big word insanity was in italics and it was under, but it had a line, it was, they defined it. The bumper sticker was the definition of the word insanity. It says, doing the same thing, expecting different results. To that person in that car, that's the definition of insanity. It is, well, I know it's not shout and, preach, uh, shout and dance time here. Jesus gives us steps, and if you're going to obtain the place, if you want to get to the place where you want to be, you can't continue to live and do the same thing you've already always done. There's a saying in the workforce, 
if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Brother Mac, I need something to change for my kids. Okay. Here's how you do it. Stop doing what you've always done. Something will change. Now, good, bad, or otherwise, something will change. So do the right thing. And Jesus has given us these steps for happiness and joy. And we have to engage them. We have to engage them. It doesn't come simply by divine impartation all the time. I'm just praying for joy. Just praying for joy. I'm going to still throw dishes at my spouse, but I'm praying for peace in my home. Every time I can, I'm going to call the police on my kids. Hopefully that ain't happening. Don't know where that came from. but I'm praying for peace in my home. I'm ready for God to send me peace. But as soon as I get home, I'm going to do everything I can to bless my family out. And guess why you're not having peace? I remember Brother, uh, y'all ever heard of Brother Billy Cole? Anybody? Brother Billy Cole told a funny story one time. He said he was at a conference and uh, they had had uh, just a wonderful, wonderful service. And he was sitting on the front row waiting for uh, time to leave. And a lady walked up to him and said, Brother Bitch, just crying, weeping. Just cry, Brother Billy, I need you to pray for me and my husband. We're just having these horrible, horrible time, and I just don't think my marriage is going to make it. Brother Billy reached up, and he laid his hand on her and said, as soon as his hand touched her forehead, God showed him a vision of her throwing dishes and pots at her husband. He didn't pray for her. He said, I didn't pray for her. I looked at her and said, Woman, stop throwing dishes at your husband, and your marital problems would be over. But her eyes got about that big around, and she got up and walked off. There's a way to get to joy and peace in our lives, and Jesus gives us the ways. We just have to engage them. The process is both horizontal and vertical. Our relationship to other people is vital to your happiness. Yesterday we had a men's seminar. And for all of you guys that weren't here, I, I really do feel sorry for you. I really do. It was incredible. Uh, it was life-changing. And um, you missed out on a wonderful, wonderful time. And, and Brother Brian talked about this very concept of having horizontal relationships. We have to have relationships with other people. No man is an island unto himself. And for those people that can bow up and say, well, I can survive by myself, drop me out on a desert island, and I'll be just fine. No, you wouldn't. It'd be just like all the other hermits throughout history. Read about some of these people. could say some more but about hermits, but I won't. Happiness has horizontal dimensions as well as vertical dimensions. We have to have relationships with others, and we have to have a relationship with God. It is imperative 
that you build both kinds of relationships. People that don't have good relationships with others will suffer in their relationship with God and vice versa. 1 John 4 and 20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? A lot I could say right there. You cannot say, the Bible says, you cannot say, I love God and hate other people. Brother Mel, they're from the wrong side of town. I don't like them people. We're done with that. But it's another message for another time. We have to love humanity. You have to love humanity in order to love God. And you vice versa. You have to love God to love humanity. It really is. God's easy to love, isn't he? That's where I get my blessings from. That's who's going to pay my electric bill. That's who's going to put gas in the car, right? <laughs> Folks, y'all are looking at me like either I have just fallen off of Mars or y'all are so tired and see, has the rain got us? Can somebody smile? Is there anybody happy here this morning? You got a couple people happy? Let your face know about it. Smile real big. Man, let some molars back there shine, if you have any. God's easy to love. I love you, God, and I need some help. I love you, God. I need, I need a miracle. I need a blessing. But he's not like the boss man. So he's easy to love, but the boss man, now, wait a minute. God, I got to love that old boy or that old lady. I'm telling you what, she's mean and contrary as a snake in the grass. I've heard it all. I've had people that I've worked with over the years, great people and supervisors, fellas over the coals. God, you mean I got to love my brother or my sister? Or my aunt so-and-so, do you realize what kind of person they are? Why, they stole something from me. I have a, a good friend has passed away several years ago. Tommy had bad heart trouble for 20 years, and he had a brother that lived about 15, 20 miles away from him, and in a little over 20 years, he never saw that brother. Tommy had eight heart attacks, two massive strokes, a heart transplant, was confined to a wheelchair. Never saw his brother who he grew up with that lived 15 miles away in any of that. I went to Tommy's daughter's wedding. Tommy's brother wasn't there. Tommy's funeral, Tommy's brother wasn't there. They didn't speak to each other. They didn't have anything to do with each other for $50. 50 bucks. I told Tommy one day, I said, just to restore, I've never met your brother, but to restore y'all's relationship, would you let me give you the $50? No. 
is the principle there. It's hard sometimes to love even those that are closest to us when we've been wronged. And, and I'm not going to get into forgiveness and all that this morning, but, but sometimes it's hard. But Jesus says we have to love our brother to love God. So you have to have a relationship that's both horizontal and one that's vertical. You also, you also have to have a relationship that is without wax. That is without wax. You can understand purity in what I'm saying in two senses. The first meaning is to be without hypocrisy. When Jesus says those that have a pure heart shall see God, he means that those that are without hypocrisy are those that are sincere. The word sincere comes from two Latin words, sin, which means without, and seer, which means wax, without wax. That comes to a, that, that comes from a, uh, a, a time in history, it's a term that used to refer to stone statues. And what would happen is the statue made out of stone would crack or, or a piece of it would get damaged and chipped. And, and so what would happen if the person that owned that statue got ready to sell it? It would be of much less value because of the damage to it. So what they would do is they would take wax and they would mix it with stone dust. And they would take that wax and they would fill in the cracks of that statue to make it appear that it was complete. And inside the colder rooms or the cooler rooms of the, of the house and they were dimly lit, you could walk around that statue and, and you, would, you would not see the defects or the damage and it would appear that the statue was, was complete and whole and there was no damage to it and there was no flaws in it. It would be flawless. But what they would do is they would roll that, take that statue and they would move it outside. And they would let the sun begin to beam down on that statue and let it begin to warm that statue up. And, and the, the warmth of the sun, what do you think it would do to the wax? It would melt it. And the flaw would then be exposed. And so when a person was selling a statue or, or selling a, a work of art, that was made out of stone, they would say that this is a sincere, this is a sincere statue. In other words, it is without wax. There's no flaw in it. It's, it's what you see is what you get. It's in perfect shape. And, and so God, from time to time, allows our lives to be exposed to some heat. He allows our lives to be exposed to some adversity. And what it, the heat will do is begin to melt wax or begin to expose our flaws. Now, God doesn't do this so we can make sure that we're all flawed and point them out to us and see, ha, 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 you thought you were something. He does it for, for a different reason. He does it to show us that he cares for us. And, and this is a part of our life that we've kind of covered up. But now that it's open, we can repent. So he exposes us to heat. So when Jesus says be pure in heart, he means to first be without hypocrisy. Be what you say you are. If you want to be a Christian, then be a Christian, be Christ-like. I had that discussion with somebody, and I got to hurry. I'm way, way over on time just about for what material I have. But I had that discussion uh, a couple weeks ago 
uh, with somebody about being a Christian, and I said, do you know what the term Christian means? And he said, Christ-like. And I said, when people take on the term Christian, it is used so loosely in society. It is bad used in society, the term Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm Christ-like. The eyebrows are not trying to show. But I told him, I said, to be Christ-like, do you understand what that means? That is every part and every facet of our life has to be held in control. The girl at McDonald's that gets our order messed up, She says, oh, I'm so sorry, I messed your order all up, or doesn't even say that. Huh? Well, whatever. You regain control, and you take control. Okay? Well, let's start over. And you, you stay a Christian. You stay Christ-like. The second meaning of being pure in heart is to be cleansed or without defilement. The Bible says in Revelations 21 and 27, And there shall in no wise enter into, enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, nor maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Talking about heaven. I get a little bit kind of passionate about this point, and maybe it's right, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I do it in Bible study, home Bible studies all the time. Society has convinced people, in my opinion, strictly in my opinion, of a lie. And that is that everybody's going to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. And look, don't believe what I say. Listen to what the Bible says. I say that all the time, and, and again, in home Bible studies, don't believe me. Believe what the Bible says. Don't believe what Momo said. Don't believe what somebody else said. Don't believe what your college professor said. Believe what the Bible says. The Bible is the only infallible word. But the Bible says that, that people that work abomination, people that defile, people that lie, are not going to go into heaven. I'm just telling you what the book says. And people are convinced that I'm going to heaven. I had a guy one time told me straight up, I am going to heaven. I know God's going to let me in because I've not intentionally hurt anybody. Where's that in the Bible? Ted Turner said, I will get into heaven because I will write God a check and give him everything I own. Ted Turner said that. I went to jury duty one time, and there was two girls in front of me that knew each other, and they were talking, and they said, did you hear about old so-and-so dying? I said, yeah, that was a sweet old man. She said, oh, I know he went to heaven. The other girl said, yeah, me too. He said, she said, you know, every time his grandkids asked for money, he always gave it to them. So for grandparents, the plan of salvation, according to these girls, is give your grandkids money. Not a bad gig. Live like you want, hand them a $5 bill, voila. We are to be pure in heart, not by society standards, not by 
what somebody has told us. Not by even, and listen up, not by even your own opinion. I don't know if I'll say this right, and I am cognizant of the fact that I have a great man of God sitting over here in Brother McCool. God don't care what you think. If you think it's right or if you think it's wrong, that ain't going to impress God at all. God's word is the only thing that doesn't change. And that's what we're going to be judged by. But God, I just don't believe that's wrong. I said it was, and that's all that matters. Okay, I'll move it. That's not happening. Good. Christians, people that are Christ-like are made pure by the blood of Jesus that was shed at Calvary. But we have to choose to remain pure. 1 John 3 and 3, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he, Jesus, is pure. You are purified by the blood of Jesus, but you have to choose to remain that way. The book of Acts tells us how to be saved. The rest of the scriptures behind it tell us how to stay that way. It is up to us to remain pure. The Bible says in James 4, 8 through 10, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. It's something that we have to do. We have to take part of this. We have to make sure we stay in a state of purity with God. An impure heart is the reason for much unhappiness. When our hearts are at conflict, in conflict with God, it, there's tension, there's frustration, there's anger, confusion. On and on it goes. But Jesus said he can give us a new heart. The benchmark or the sign of purity is the holiness of God. The holiness of God guarantees everyone living below the standard of purity will not make it. The Bible says, "Be because it is written, be holy, for I am holy in 1 Peter 1 and 16. That is not a suggestion. Jesus is not making a suggestion. It is a commandment. Be holy because he is holy. I want to be just like Jesus. Then be holy. Well, I don't want to do that. King David said, he asked a question in Psalms 24, 3 and 4, Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Then he gives the answer, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hebrews 12 and 14, the Bible says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Jesus says, blessed or happy are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that shall see God. You want to see God in your life? Oh, I want to see God perform a miracle. I want to see God heal my mama. I want to see God heal my daddy. I want to see God heal my children. I want to see God save my family. I want to see God. I want to see God. I want to see God. You want to see him? 
I say it all, we say it all the time in service. Well, I want to see God do something great in this service. Do we really want to? Because Jesus says if you want to see God, there's something that you have to do. And that is to be pure in heart. 1 Corinthians 13 and 12. Paul is writing an incredible, incredible chapter of scripture. It's known as the love chapter. But he says, for now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as also I am known. Paul's saying, I see through a glass darkly, but then I will see God face to face. If you want to see God face to face, if you want to see God in your life, if you want to see your life become a place of joy and peace and happiness, the, the fulfillment of the promise of God, if you want to see these things take place in our life, then Jesus says we have to have a pure heart. Blessed are they that are pure in heart, pure in mind, pure in, in motive and intention, all the things that our heart uh, produces and are pure in those areas. And if we are, if we will take the journey, if we will do the, what it takes, if we'll go through the process of receiving a pure heart from God, then our life, then our life will be what you want it to be. I was thinking about a man today, and I'm out of time, and uh, I was thinking about him this morning. He is uh, a pastor, a church for a, a number of years, a, a friend of mine, and has, him and his family have lost their way. They've, they've left their relationship with God altogether. And I found out this week they're contemplating a move to another state to get, just get away from, from the area that they live in. There's a lot of memories there, and they, they went through this litany of excuses and why they want to move. And I was thinking about that this morning, and I said, you know, it doesn't matter if they move now to this other state. The source of their misery is going with them. And that is they have left that place in God. They've left the place of joy. They've left the place of peace that they had found. They've left that. And so no matter where they go, and society is desperately searching for peace. They're searching for these things, and it's found only in a relationship with God with a pure heart. It's worth the investment. It's worth the journey to get in the spiritual car and to drive to a place of a pure heart. It's worth the investment. Praise the Lord. Thank you this morning for your attention. God bless you. Don't go anywhere. We have an incredible, incredible second service coming up. You don't want to miss it. In Jesus' name, bless you.